Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. And before we begin, I'd like to tell you guys a story. Uh, I'd like to tell you guys a story about a time when I took a cruise many years ago uh, with some friends of mine. And one of the people on the trip with us was fairly skilled at blackjack and used to win whenever they would go play blackjack in the casino they would always win a lot and there happened to be a casino on the cruise so I apologize in advance if anybody gets offended by me talking about casinos and gambling on a podcast about Tanya but once again this is my podcast so I can talk about whatever I want so and you'll see that there is a a deeper message here so anyways so I was intrigued by this whole thing I was not very familiar with blackjack or any of this stuff and I wanted to see how it all works would this person really make good money and so i was in the casino and I was sitting down next to this person who was playing blackjack and lo and behold he started to lose <laughs> and it was and at first is it is a game it is gambling after all but uh so it's nothing is guaranteed obviously but those of you that are a little bit familiar with blackjack and how it works is it actually is the pretty much the only game in Uh, gambling in a casino that actually does make a little bit of sense and that is somewhat logical and there are rules that can that if you really do know what you're doing you're probably not going to lose that much money and there can be certain ways that you can you you have a higher likelihood of winning than uh, in a more steady and logical way than pretty much any other game in the casino which is really just luck and there's no skill involved at all so This guy, again, he really knew what he was doing. He knew how to play and everything. And it was really strange because the first couple of rounds, okay, fine, he's losing, not doing very well. It's, that's okay. It's not, it's not expected that you're necessarily going to win every time. But at a certain point, it just became a little bit strange to him. Like he just wasn't playing as good at all as he used to, as he usually did. And he just looked at the dealer and he said, is this a normal deck? And she didn't answer. And she kind of made this like funny kind of face. And that's when he realized, oh my goodness, he has fallen into a tourist trap. And immediately he got up and left the table and he found another table, which nearby, which said one deck. So, uh, which means that they were only, they, they, they verified the fact that they were really playing only with one deck of cards and it was a full deck. So he sat down at that table and it was maybe a little bit higher starting bid, but he was, he said, you know what, let me try this out. And 
see if there's a difference and he started to play and lo and behold he started to win and do a lot better later on upon thinking about it he realized that probably what they were doing on that other table is they combined a bunch of cards together a bunch of decks together and removed some of the tens which really changes the odds and somehow or another i guess they were able to get away with this legally uh, by not saying by not explicitly stating that it was a full deck that it was one deck that they were playing with so Anyways, so good for him for recognizing this really early on and getting up from the table and moving. But I thought that this was a really apt example of a tourist trap. And it really stuck with me throughout all the years. And it really made me think about this idea of tourist traps in general and scams, Ponzi schemes. They're all over us, unfortunately, in the world. And pretty much all of us have, have probably at some point or another encountered some type of tourist trap, some type of scam. Another example is if you go to a fair and you know they have those games at, at different fairs or amusement parks and uh, throw this thing the coin into the bucket and then you'll win a prize or whatever all of these ga games are rigged uh, just so you know they are all slightly off <laughs> they make it in such a way that it, it is not uh, it is not designed for you to win this is how casinos make money this is how amusement parks make money so it's something to be aware of this is just practical advice that I'm giving to you guys now but what we'll see and what we're going to be learn learning about in Tanya today is it actually goes a lot deeper than that when we start to realize that not only are there just like physical tourist traps in the world there are actually spiritual tourist traps that surround us all the time things that look really shiny to us and look really 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 appealing but they're actually just traps and they actually have no substance to them at all and in fact they themselves are very much aware of their non uh, substance, their substancelessness, just like the dealer at the casino, she knew what was up. She knew that if we would have kept playing that game, that would have been stupid and that we would be idiots. And there was probably a part of her that actually was proud of us. And she, you know, it wasn't her casino. She was just an employee there. So there was most likely a part of her that when we recognized that this was a scam, that there was something going on that wasn't totally legit. I could imagine that she was actually really happy that we recognize this and proud that we moved over to that next table. And as we'll see, this is a very similar thing into the way that these spiritual tourist traps work as well, where, where these spiritual forces that try to get us to go against God, to conceal God from the world, they actually want us to expose them. They actually want us to recognize them for what they are and not fall into their trap. So a really apt example of this is actually something that the Ultra Rebbe brings himself at the end of this chapter, but I'm going to bring it up now. And then when we get into the text, it will come up again at the end. But it's a story from the Zohar about uh, a king hiring a harlot to seduce his only son. And the story goes that the king wanted to test out the strength of his son and to kind of bring out his ability to have self-control. And so he sends out a, the harlot to seduce his son. And so the harlot is going out and trying to seduce the son. And even though she's doing every single thing in her power to try to seduce the son to succumb to her, deep down, she actually doesn't want him to, to succumb to her. She wants him to overcome her. And she's hoping that he will fight against her. And this is very much how these forces work in our world, that they are actually deep down hoping that we will overcome them. So as much as they're luring us in, as much as they are trying to sell us with their shiny 
bright lights and whatever it is. And it can manifest in so many different things. They actually, not only are they themselves really full of falsehood and not not who they truly are selling themselves to be, they don't even want us to buy them ultimately. So when we recognize this, it becomes a lot easier for, easier for us to overcome them. So this is what we are going to be learning about today. And the other thing that we're going to learn about is how in order to uncover these falsehoods for what they are, there needs to be a wake up call. You know, like the guy that was playing blackjack, he needed to have this like sudden shaking up moment of, wait a second, I'm losing too much money. Like if he was like just very, very wealthy and didn't care as much about his money and money didn't mean as much to him, um, then he may have kept playing for Oh, who knows how long and lost who knows how much money but because he's not super wealthy then there was this kind of wake-up call at a certain point that he experienced this time it was from within him but you could imagine that it sometimes can come from the outside let's say his wife would have recognized that like his wife was there as well and if she would have recognized like wow you know you're, you're losing too much money for us us and get gotten angry that could serve as the wake-up call as well and then the uh, the last part that we're going to uh come to see in today's episode is that uh after experiencing this wake-up call, there's no turning back. It's like once you see the scam, like once you know how the magic tr trick is being done, you can't unsee it. It's too obvious. It's right there. And the and the supposed reality, the allure of these falsehoods just dissipate right before your eyes. I actually re recently saw a television show that really was like a, a TV show play of... Um, of this whole story of the harlot that's written about in the Zohar. In the TV show, it's not important to get into like all the details, but there were two people in the show who separately were lured by people who posed as romantic partners for them, but ended up scamming them. One of them was a girl who in her naivete, she got caught up in the charm of this of this guy who you know just started just like showering her with attention and adventure and all kinds of things like that and it turns out that she discovers at some point that he is nothing but a hired um guy uh to who was hired by these like mafia people to distract her from a murder that they're trying to commit uh in that same show there's another example of this other this boy who is a nice innocent kind of boy and he gets also similarly allured by a prostitute who he doesn't know anything about that world or anything like that and he actually thinks that this prostitute uh falls in love with him and he enters into a whole relationship with her only to, at the end, uh, get scammed by her, and she ends up scamming him out out of $50,000. So it's really tragic, both of these instances. And you see in both instances, when they have this wake-up call, when they have this awakening of what happened to them, that they've been scammed, that they've been duped, all of their feelings towards the person who duped them instantly dissipate, instantly disappear. Once they know who this person is, it's like once the girl sees the guy for you know just being this hired guy she, she all her she realizes that the whole thing was false the whole thing was uh was just a, a ruse and she doesn't like him anymore like you can just imagine how horrible she feels afterwards and similarly for the guy it's like he was heartbroken after realizing this so all of this is just such an aft muscle it's, it's literally the muscle that the that the zohar gives for this uh for this process that we experience here in this world the allure of the Sitra Ahra, the allure of Ariyat Ahara, the allure of these shiny objects in the world that try to uh, draw us in to their clutches. But when we realize what they are and we realize that they're just falsehood and that they're that it's just a scam, 
then we can wake up and they don't have the same hold over us anymore. So let's get into the text and see how the Alter Rebbe explains this. For context, we're going to be concluding chapter 29 today of Likutei Amaram. And if you followed along yesterday's episode, you'll know that yesterday we, we started speaking about this theme, about the lack of substance uh, of, uh, of the Sitra Ahra, of these, you know, shiny objects, the klipos, that lure us to, to go against the will of God and how they really have no substance of their own. We use the analogy of the emperor's new clothes and how once you know, the child said, screamed out, hey, the emperor's not wearing any clothes, it became obvious to all and it just, you know, the, the, it, it collapsed, the bruise collapsed. So we concluded yesterday by saying that this, this um, service, this, this uh, work of exposing the falsehoods of the world for what they really are, is really the root of all of our service of God. This is, this is what we're meant to do here on earth. This is the root of, of what we were put here for. Now today, the altar rabbi goes on and he says that the reason for this, the reason why this is the source of our entire service is because in truth, there is nothing, there is no actual substance to the sitra to this other side, which is why it is likened to darkness because darkness doesn't have any substance to it either like think about it what is darkness darkness is like the absence of light so it doesn't really have a real substance to it at all and and we see this by virtue of the facts that what happens to darkness when you bring in some light it gets automatically pushed out from the light so too like it, it just disappears when there's light so so too the sitra ahra even though it does have a lot of vitality um because we we've talked about previously that the sitra ahra does give vitality to all of the uh, the impure animals and to the souls of the idolaters and also to the animal soul that is within us Jews and all of these things. So it is giving vitality to these things. Nevertheless, all of its vitality doesn't come from itself, God forbid, but it rather comes from the side of holiness. So we talked about this previously in previous episodes. You can go back and listen to that there. But like that's the basic idea is that it's not getting its own vitality. It's just kind of like pretending that it's getting that it's that its vitality is its own and it's giving its and giving this vitality to transmitting this vitality to all of these impure forces. And Hashem set it up in such a way that it should look like this, but truly the vitality is really coming from him. And thus, since the true vitality, its true vitality is really truly coming from God. So in true truth, it is actually nullified when the whole, when holiness comes because holiness is its source. Like that's where it's really coming. Just like darkness gets nullified when you have actual physical light. Just that when we talk about the holiness of the godly soul that is in man, then we then the altar explains that Hashem actually gave gave the power and the ability of the sitra achra to rise up against it. Why? In order for us to overcome it. So God wants us to work and overcome these things and to actually bring it down from its place of high highness and and humble it and make it low in our eyes. And then when we do this, when we when we humble ourselves, basically, when we humble our own animal spirit and, and bring it down uh, from its state of like haughtiness, this causes an arousal from above. So it's again that term, that when there's an arousal from below, there's an, an arousal from above that responds. And then the altar of us cites Ovadia, uh, chapter one, verse four, where it says, Misham Uritra Neum Hashem. So from there I will bring you down. 
says God. So meaning to say that God brings this, uh, is going to bring down the Sitra Ahra. So what it's basically saying is that when we do our part and when we break our animal spirit and our lowly impulses, then God breaks the negative energy above in a more cosmic kind of way. And God actually takes away this rain that it gave that he gave to it so where we said before that god did set it up in such a way like he set it up that the negative powers could rule over the good powers because he wants us to fight and because he wants us to engage in this battle but when he sees that we actually are winning this battle when we actually do break ourselves then god takes away this power from the from the other side and then it's not able to rule over the light of the of the godly soul anymore and it just becomes totally nullified as darkness becomes nullified to physical light. And then the altar up here now brings an example of this with the Maraglim, with the spies in Torah. And so for those of you that are not familiar, it's uh, you can look up this story. It's in Bamidbar chapter 13, where they were the Jews were traveling in the desert and they were preparing to go into the land of Israel. And Moshe sent out spies to scout out the land. And the spies came back and they gave really not the best feedback about the land. And they kind of freaked everybody out and said, oh, there's really giant people living there. I don't know how we're going to conquer this and everything. And they expressed a lot of doubts. And through the, and because of this expression of their doubts, then Hashem actually punished them and said that they cannot enter into the land of Israel anymore. But so now the point that the altar is going to bring up with this story is actually a very kind of like side point in a way, but it's very essential to the topic we've been learning about, where the altar is going to, going to point out that even these Maraglim, even these spies that express so much doubt, and this is how what they're remembered for, is the doubt that they expressed about God and about entering into the land of Israel, will see that at the end of the day, deep down, they actually did believe in God and they actually did have faith in God. And this is what the altar is going to, the, the kind of conclusion and the culmination of the chapter is going to be in pointing out that as Jews, we all actually do have faith in God. And it's just a matter of uncovering this faith that we have in God. So in the text here, the altar explains this as he says that uh, he shows he, he shows this where he says that the spies in the beginning, they said, what did they say about the the land they were they were going into they said mimenu. so mimenu literally means they are stronger than us meaning the nation that lives in that in that country is stronger than us and and thus they were implying that it's the jews didn't really stand a chance against this really strong nation that lived in the land and then the gemara in two different places in sota page 35a and menachos Page fifty-three B. They both interpret this reading of of kichazaku mimenu that what it's when this word mimenu that they are stronger than us that we shouldn't read it as mimenu stronger than us but rather we should say that they were stronger than him stronger than God so that they were actually implying the fact that these people that were in the land were stronger than God and thus God wouldn't even be able to help them conquer it, which is outright heresy, right? <laughs> By saying that they, uh, that the people in the land were stronger than God. And then we see that they actually reversed their course. And then we see that God get, got really angry at them. And then they said, wait, wait, never mind, never mind. We actually, we want to go up. So this is in Bamidbar 
chapter 14, verse 40, where they said, where they said, we will ready, readily go up to conquer the land. So they really, really reversed their tone. And so the question that, that the altar is asking here is, where did they suddenly get this faith from? Like they went from one extreme to the other. They started out by saying that this nation that lives in the lands, not only are they stronger than us, they're stronger than God. They're stronger than God himself. And then they reversed themselves and they said, no, 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 actually, let's go up. Let's, let's conquer the land. And so... The altar says it's not like Moshe Rabbeinu showed them any extra miracle or sign or wonder or something like that in the meanwhile. All he did is he told them how angry God was against them and that God swore that he would not let them come into the land. And so if they truly were not believers, why would this make any difference? Like if they heard that God was really angry at them and if they heard that God would not let them enter into the land of Israel, if they truly didn't believe in God, they would just accept that. They would just say like, okay, we don't like that God's angry at us maybe, but we're really, I don't see any evidence that will show that we're actually going to succeed in conquering the land. But then the altarist says that, but in truth, for uh, obviously, it is it is obvious that Jews are actually believers and we are sons of believers and it's just that the sitra ahra that becomes enclosed invested in our body it raises itself up on the light of the holiness of the godly souls with its coarseness and with its haughtiness with this like chutzpah that actually has no it's illogical it's an illogical kind of chutzpah like do you ever see those kind of people who are just like so sure of themselves and so haughty and so self-assured and they actually have no reason to be to be so self-assured like they don't know what they're talking about they're not actually very competent or anything but they just have this like chutzpah to like come in and show themselves as being really confident so that's how the altar is likening the sitra achra is that this sitra achra comes up and raises itself up without any rhyme or reason but just asserts itself as if it's really great and it encloses itself in our bodies but because ultimately as jews we truly truly our true self is believers and sons of believers so then this is why that as soon as god got angry at them and he raised his voice against them and showed this anger and he said he he explained till when will this evil nation keep going up against me in this in this desert like he really showed them how angry he was and he said to them that they, he would make them die in the desert and he wouldn't let them come into the land of Israel. So through this, through these like harsh words, this harshness, when they heard this, this actually caused their heart to to break and it humbled them. And we see this from the verse in over there in uh, verse 39, where it says that the that the nation mourned greatly so they really it really kind of broke them down when they saw this anger of god and this humbling of their spirit caused the greater sitracha the greater negative force to fall down from its dominion and from its coarseness and thus when the sitracha fell it exposed the fact that jews truly are believers and sons of believers and they always were so it's not like they suddenly took on this new level of faith and now they believed whereas before they didn't it's just that like the coarseness that was covering up the beliefness the belief their belief and their faith got eradicated and it exposed who they truly were and then the altar rabbi says that every person can learn from this that if they ever experience thoughts of doubt regarding faith they should recognize the fact that the fact that these are nothing but the spirit these are words of the spirit of the sitra Ahra that is raising itself up over their soul but that the 
uh, that Jews themselves are actually believers and sons of believers. And not only that, the altar goes on and he says that even the Sitra Acha itself doesn't actually have real doubts. It's putting these doubts in the person's minds, but they don't even actually doubt these things. It's just that it was given, the Sitra Acha was given permission to mix up the thoughts of a person with all kinds of words, all kinds of lies and falsehoods and stuff like that. And trickery and the reason why it does this is in order to increase its reward because this is really its purpose the purpose of the sitra is to conceal god from the world so it's actually doing its job when it does this this is why god created it but as we learned about previously the sitra itself ultimately does know god does does know its maker knows where it comes from so it's like it's tricking us into buying something that it itself doesn't even believe in basically and then here the altar rabbi ends off with what we that analogy that we brought up in the very beginning of the podcast today about the harlot that is brought up in the in the Zohar who is given to the son of the king with with falsehood and with trickery but in the by permission of the king and he says you can read more about this in the Zohar there and so again it's the story is basically that the king had a son and he wanted to bring out the son's inner strength. So he sent a harlot to him to test the son. And he was hoping that the harlot would not succumb to the seductions of the harlot. And so the harlot was trying is tries to do her job to the best of her ability, of course. So on the one hand, she's really, really trying to get that son to sin and to succumb to her. But on the other hand, kind of deep, deep down, she doesn't actually want the son to succumb to her because she recognizes the fact that this isn't truly the right thing for the son to do. So that's the end of the chapter. So to to take a moment to summarize what we've learned in this chapter over yesterday and today's episode. So we concluded this idea of the importance of really breaking ourselves down and humbling ourselves and humbling our spirits and really getting feeling loathsome and even angry at this lower part of ourselves within us, like the, the animal soul within us. And the reason for this, the reason for this feeling of loathsomeness and anger is because first of all, this is an appropriate emotion that we should feel when we recognize the fact that this animal soul within us is concealing our ability to really perceive true reality, which is God. And so when we realize that this is the one thing that is like concealing the light from us so this is going to cause us to feel very angry towards that thing like imagine you wanted to get to a certain place but there was like an obstruction there and you wanted to get past that obstruction that obstruction is going to make you feel very frustrated and very angry and then not only that that feeling of frustration and anger and loathsomeness actually causes this corresponding effect on high where the global the more like cosmic or supernal sitra supernal other side to get to get shot down and to get subdued and humbled from its place and lose its power and then this through it losing of its power it reveals itself for the fact that it actually has no substance at all and even though it was given this ability to give off the illusion of having substance and it was given the ability to give vitality to all kinds of different impure things in the world at the end of the day it actually has no substance of its own and so when it gets shot down from its high place automatically the light shines in so automatically just like light automatically dispels darkness that's what happens here is that once we get rid of the darkness the light just uh, flushes through and comes in and then we also talked about how this can really be illustrated in the story of the spies where the spies were on the one hand portraying themselves to be like these people who really 
doubted God and didn't believe in God's ability, but we saw ultimately that they did believe in God because they mourned the fact that they couldn't go into the land of Israel and they wanted to go into Israel very much so at the end. And this is by virtue of the fact that from the beginning, they were always believers because we're all believers and we all truly deep down do believe in God. And it's just that there's this concealment that overtakes us and that hides this true reality from us. And then the final point that the ultra brought up was this idea that this concealment, this ne negative force, the Sitra Akhra that we've been calling it, actually ultimately doesn't even believe what it's selling. So it is actually very much aware of God and very much aware of its true existence, which is nothingness. And the only reason why it's, it's not exposing God for what he is, is because its purpose is to conceal God. So it's doing its job. Just like the story with the harlot, where the harlot, it's not that the harlot actually wants the son to succumb to it for real. The harlot is just doing the job of the king. And ultimately, the harlot kind of hopes and wishes that the son is going to overcome her. Uh, and so just to bring it back again to the tourist trap analogy is the people who are running these rigged operations, these scams or whatever. It's like they know it's a scam. They're very aware of the fact that it's a scam. They're not selling you something for the most part that they actually believe in. And maybe while, you know, maybe it's not the best example because maybe it's not that they don't want you to fall for the scam. They kind of do want you to fall for the scam. But if there would be, let's say, one more honest employee who just kind of fell into that situation of working for a company that like was scamming people. If they, if, if somebody actually exposed the scam for what it was, that actually, that employee would actually probably get happy and they'd be like, Oh good. I wanted you to expose us. I wanted you to recognize the fact that we are a scam because we really are a scam. So that is it. And so I hope that this, I know it was a lot today, but I think the main takeaway message to take from here is first of all, do not fall into tourist traps. Do not fall into scams. Be aware. Don't be stupid. And this is just in a practical way. And this is true, not only physically in physical scams, but also try not to fall into the scam of the world. And the way that you can really try not to fall into the scam of ultimate reality and the Yitzhahara and the animal soul and the Sitra Akhra is really by staying humble and is really by keeping a broken spirit and taking time to really, really humble yourself and sometimes even break yourself and, and recognize who you really are in a really raw way. And through staying humble, this will allow your, the, the light of your godly self, which is really ultimately your true self shine through. So I hope that was enlightening and we will move on tomorrow to chapter 30 and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.